Welcome back to episode 5 of On Track with Julia. I'm Julia Choi, a violinist with the Met Orchestra, and you'll get to meet great musicians as people and listen to all their amazing life stories. My guest today is Joseph Anderer, recently retired principal horn of the Met Orchestra. Joe began his Met career in 1984 and has served many roles as acting principal horn, third horn, and ultimately was appointed principal horn by James Levine in 2003, the position he held until this season in 2020. In his spare time, Joe was also principal horn of Orchestra St. Luke's, where he is a founding member. I am honored to speak with Joe today and can't wait for you to meet him. Hi, Joe. It's really amazing to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time and being so generous to share all your experiences with us. Um, you need no introduction, but for all the non-musicians listening out there, Joe is the most recently retired principal horn player of the Met Orchestra, and he started in 1984, so this would be his 36th season. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah, wow. Joe, thank you for your service <laughs> and your sacrifice. Um, Joe has the most incredible stories and life stories, so I can't wait to hear about everything in narration. So, firstly, I would love for you to tell us about you and your background and your upbringing. Where were you born and raised and where have you lived? And will you tell us the story about how you got into playing the horn and was it by choice or did someone start you on the instrument and how? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. Uh, um, I thought of myself as being like ancient history, you know. But, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> my family had a piano and my mother decided I ought to take lessons because we had a piano. And I was never very good at the piano, but um, I did want, I got interested in music. And when I decided to go to, you know, to when I went to high school, I decided I wanted to be in the band. Mm -hmm. And um, they had to figure out what instrument I should play. They played a bunch of them for us and I ended up, wasn't my first choice, but... What was your first choice? Clarinet. <laughs> my wife finds that funny for some reason. That's, but, but yeah. Anyway, the, but the, when I said that my second choice was the French horn, they grabbed me by the collar and brought me over to the horn teacher because they're never volunteers for the horn. It's a hard instrument, right? Well, yeah, and nobody really, you know, I, I, I mean, I didn't play a wind instrument until I went to high school, so. I see. Uh, so he looked at my teeth and he said, yeah, yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> In his Italian accent. He was yeah. A little Italian guy. He was fantastic. He was That's cool. awesome. Yeah. Um, what do teeth have to do with? the horn for well, people who don't know you know you press the mouthpiece against your teeth mm -hmm. and uh some people actually have a problem where a t if a tooth sticks out they get little cuts i never had that problem oh wow but i think all our teeth our teeth gradually shift a little bit during our lifetime so we're we're always adapting right but anyway, um, I started playing. They sent me home with a horn. I started fooling around with it. And then when the summer was over, I started playing in the band. Mm -hmm. And um, we didn't have an orchestra, but we had 
we we had a band and uh, the band conductor was Bill McLaughlin, uh -huh. who a lot of people know from his radio shows. Um, he was music director in Kansas City later. He played uh, he played trombone in the Pittsburgh Symphony for a few years. Right. Yeah. But he was still a student at Temple University. Okay. And um, this was his like you know this was a little gig that he did. Mm -hmm. And that was so lucky for me. And um, so between him and my horn teacher, who had been a student of, you see, oh, I, can't, I can't get it. <laughs> this picture in the background. I, I see it. That's Anton Horner. He was, okay. he was the first horn in Philadelphia in the old days. And he taught at Curtis and he taught a whole generation of players. Mm -hmm. And my teacher was one of those guys. And he yeah. was in his late seventies, and he was a real gentleman, and um, it was it was great to study with him, and uh, progressed pretty well. Who knows why? Yeah, you've uh, had a really great succession of guidance, and you know yeah. that's really extremely important for a young musician training to be in the field. Mm -hmm. So, do you want to tell us elaborate a little more about that? Well, yeah, Bill, and um, also. Uh, Bob Fitzpatrick, you may know from Curtis. I don't know. I do not. He was still there. He was the dean for a while, but yeah. he uh, he was the Bill's successor when he went to Pittsburgh, and uh, those guys uh, really kind of pointed me in the right directions. And uh, one of the things was a an alpha called Symphony Club. I don't know. I think it still exists, but it went. I've way, heard of it way, for sure. Way back. Yeah. <laughs> A Fleischer collection at the Free Library, which is the world's largest collection of orchestras. Wow. Uh, this was the, their orchestra at one time. Stokey used to go recruiting yeah. their rehearsals. And anyway, it was really a community orchestra, but we read a different symphonic program every week. Oh, my goodness. And I had to learn to transpose. You know, we, we have to. As horn players, we have to learn to transpose. Oh my God. And so yeah. here I was, you know, I was like 16 or something. That, it was a great experience for me. Great. And these guys kind of pushed me to go to go there, you know? Yeah. And uh, it was fa fabulous. And then when I was playing at Symphony Club, there was a woman who heard me play one summer and um, she recommended me to a woman named Shirley Curtis. Mm -hmm. She was an amazing, woodwind coach and Dan Shelley and our orchestra is one of her she was his teacher mm -hmm. as on the bassoon oh and wow she was, yeah she there there's that connection then yeah yeah and she just died recently and um I was going to play at her memorial but then all this COVID thing happened. I know so um but she was fabulous and um she was very instrumental for me Right. And my direction in my career or, you know, my musical preferences, uh, which largely were chamber music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always played in the wind quintet for, uh, as long as I could do it with the, you know, until the Met schedule kind of prevented it. <laughs> and, uh, but she was, um, she was a huge help to me and settlement school was a huge help to me. Yeah. And he lined up lessons when my teacher died. Mm-hmm for a dollar oh my god that is we didn't so have any nice. money we didn't my father died when i was very young really she helped make sure that i got lessons and 
That's you know, Settlement is a great school. I don't know whether you, you're familiar with it from Philadelphia, but I've heard of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they um, they were very helpful. And, um, yeah, I had no anyway. idea you spent so much of your time in Philly. <laughs> well, and, I left after high school. Yeah, yeah. But I actually played with the Philly Orchestra for four years as an extra also. So, I mean, that was such an amazing experience for me. And so I know when you say Stokki, you mean Sikorsky and mm -hmm. um, Orindy as well. You know, those people were well before my time, of course. Well, but I went to a lot of their concerts. Yeah. Wow. I wish I could have seen and experienced that too. But I, I hear one time with the Philly Orchestra. <gasps> when was three, that? Oh, three or four years ago. They do this fundraiser. They call it the Academy Ball. Yeah, I think I actually played in it's that the one. the only time now yeah. that you play at the Academy of Music, but that's where right. I came when I was growing up. That's that where it, the sound came about, right? And I just filled in this one night, and it was it was a real thrill. To yeah, it's really fun to, to play that. there. But yeah, I just hear so many great stories about how they've shaped the Philly sound there. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool to hear all your stories for me because... <laughs> I can put all these names to faces when you speak about places like Temple and Curtis. And so I know well, my teachers went to Temple. Uh, yeah. Both Bill and, and Bob Fitzpatrick. Yeah. And prep for, you know, reading through your story and everything for this um, podcast. I just it, it made me smile so much. So <laughs> I know where all these places are and what they look like. So it makes it extra special for me to hear these experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and just going back to um, transposition for a little bit. Um, oh my goodness. I am, I am so glad I don't have to transpose for a living. And you, I know you have to all the time. And um, I actually did my fair share of transposition and ear training class during college. You had to take ear training as well, right? At Juilliard? Sure. But um, I couldn't transpose something on the keyboard. Oh my God. That was no a way. nightmare. <laughs> I was a teaching assistant, actually, for ear training at Juilliard oh. for three years. Um, so it was a prerequisite to go through all the training until level four, where it required, you know, in college to only pass two levels. And then you it's an option to take more. But I had to do up to four. And, you know, one of the things that we had to do was transpose a Bach chorale into soprano, alto, tenor, and bass clefs, and then play three voices on the piano while singing one in soulfish so it was just a huge mind game for me and um it was horrible <laughs> but and by the way soprano alto and tenor clefs are not your usual treble and bass clefs you know that most of us oh have. i remember ear training i i didn't do ear training for i think i was getting too busy working at that point yeah that's <laughs> awesome transposing was my worst nightmare so <laughs> i do i do remember reading chorales in four yeah. class, you know, yeah. but not transposing them and maybe not playing all four voices, but they yeah. took it up a couple levels after, sure. yeah, as it progressed. But yeah, transposing was really my nightmare because I also have perfect pitch. So mm -hmm. this is actually more of a handicap, you know, than a help if you have to transpose because you hear a I note. And you know this note is a certain note and a certain letter, but then you're trying to cancel that out in your brain. So it's just a whole mind boggle. <laughs> I think that's true for a lot of people. And also, if you if you hear it, oh, say you're used to hearing at 442 or 444. That and too. And playing at 440, 
it's a nightmare. I know. <laughs> yeah, and we play at 440. So and well, Verbier, and you've been to Verbier, right? Yeah, I was there <laughs> when you were a coach, but I never got to say hi. So yeah, I didn't. I don't. I don't remember you from there. What year were you there? I was there 2015. Okay. Yeah. So not too long ago. Yeah. They, those are really great experiences too. Oh, sure. And you're still going, I, right? I love that. Yeah. Well, of course we couldn't go this summer. This summer, but hopefully next year. I miss all those people. Yeah. So it's you spent a, a bunch of your time in Philly, right? And then after high school, you Until went to Juilliard. School. Yes. I went to Juilliard. I would come back actually on the weekends um, because I taught at my old high school after my teacher died. I taught the horn players. Mm -hmm. and, um, I would always go to hear the Philly Orchestra, so I have those in, those guys in my ear. Quite frankly, I got my mother to do my laundry, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could relate on that, too, actually. It's, I mean, for people who don't know, it's hard to do laundry in the city because you don't have it in your unit for the most part, you know, for most yeah. So you have to go to the basement or you have to go to the laundromat to do it. So it's a real luxury to <laughs> actually do your laundry. So I'm kidding. Yeah. It, I mean, just the practical elements. Of That's so funny. Living in New York. Well, now, of course, we have a laundry room in our house, but we lived in New York till well, about 15 years ago. So a very long time. But we're in Weehawken, just across the river. Oh, OK. In New Jersey. Yeah, we're just like on the other side of the um, Lincoln Tunnel. Awesome. Do you take the ferry also? I have taken the ferry, but... It's, but it's not your preferred? No, place. it's very expensive. And then it leaves you by the river, and then you have to get into Midtown or where yeah. you're going. So it's it's much easier to just take the bus to the Port Authority. Right, that's true. That, Practical that's knowledge for people who don't need it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but the commute is, it can be brutal sometimes, you know, it could take up to two hours. So you just Going have to really to work for a, for an opera in the evening is a very slow process. But yeah, sometimes if we have a really long opera, my wife will drive into New York and pick me up. Oh, and that's so nice. It takes like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's, we're, we're, it's very fast if there's no traffic. Yeah, taking the car is definitely the best way, but then you have to worry about parking if you don't, you know, if you don't have a garage. So there are all these things with commuting, but let's talk about you. <laughs> let's go back to you. So um, let's talk about Juilliard a little bit. You enjoyed their time there, right? How yeah, would you describe I mean, it? You know, what's great about Juilliard is the other students. Yeah, um, we, I mean, I, I had a great teacher. I had a lot of great teachers, but you only see them once or twice a week at most. Mm -hmm. And um, you're around the other students all the time and you learn so much from them. And uh, there, I was there with some really fabulous people. So uh, it, it was a great environment for me because I was, I had only been playing for like three and a half years. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was, uh, I needed to be in a, pressure cooker kind of that's great situation. Yeah. but it was uh, uh it was a, a, a great place for me and um so i had really good teachers and some of them started hiring me while i was still in school oh my goodness and, you must have been so good <laughs> well i don't know but uh, there was a time when the 
Philharmonic had a kind of an emergency. One of the guys got sick. Okay. And they called me in to play that night with Bernstein. And um, wow. It, yeah, at the last minute. And I That's played amazing. a recording session the next morning. And it was uh, kind of nerve wracking, you know. Oh, but I bet. That year, there were a couple of people that left their sub list. Mm -hmm. One guy left New York. Another guy actually became a member of the orchestra. So they had to they had to work on their sub list and okay. somehow I ended up being number three, which wow. means if a Mahler symphony or a Strauss big Strauss tone poem has eight horn parts, usually they would need three extra players. Mm -hmm. So being number three on that list was that's pretty amazing. <laughs> so you got to play everything. I got paid a lot of money. Because, yeah. You know, but it was it also was a great experience playing with, well, Bernstein, Boulez, Haiting. Wow. Um, all these really amazing conductors, uh, Kulik, oh, us. I can't even. Yeah, all the legends. You You've got all the big but, names. Yeah, there. it was really incredible. And yeah. I did a lot of touring with them eventually. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was there for 14 years as an extra while I was freelancing, while I was playing chamber music, doing a whole shitload of ballet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Ballet, How many? There was a ballet boom because of this movie that Sherry McLean did, uh, uh -huh. The Breaking Point or something. I forget. But um, it, it triggered a kind of a big ballet boom. And the Met used to produce a summer ballet season even mm -hmm. after American Ballet Theater was finished. Oh my God. I had six or seven that. weeks of ballet. Yeah. Wow. They could sell it in those days because it, it was just a very popular thing. I actually did even a, li a little bit of opera. I played with um, the Opera Orchestra of New York with Eve Queller mm -hmm. and played Strauss and Wagner with her, but it was kind of useless when I got to the Met because we did like Rienzi. <laughs> and the Strauss things were Guntram. Mm -hmm. And uh, Die Liebe der Danai, which nobody plays. <laughs> thing that was great about her series was that she did these operas that nobody else did, mm -hmm. that sometimes the s stories were so silly, but the music was really good. And, and it was, that was a really, really fascinating job. I mean, I, that was one of the sort of highlights when I was in my early freelance days. But I did a lot of that kind of stuff. That's incredible. Not too much opera other than that, although I did sub at Corgi and Bess at Radio City. Oh my God. And there was a night when I was, I was subbing. I, w I didn't play it like as a regular, but I, I subbed the first oboist from City Opera. Mm -hmm. And um, we were in some corridor after the show trying to find the exit. And I don't know whether you've ever been to Radio City, but it really is a labyrinth. It's worse than the Met. <laughs> And this guy looked at me and he says, how do I get out of here? And, and I, It's like a maze. It was the perfect setup. I said, practice. Yeah. It's like the old Carnegie Hall joke, but in reverse. That's hilarious. So, um, but I, I, I did that. I yeah. did uh, Clemenza di Tito at Juilliard. Okay. Now we do at the Met. But both those operas were new my first year. So... Mm -hmm. All these other operas, I, I, well, you know what it's like. You come in and you don't know anything. Right. You learn all these pieces all at once. Huge stack of music. And know. they're just so long, you know. Well, so. yeah, but 
the ones that I had played, Corgi and Tito, nobody else had played. So when we were rehearsing those, see, I was always like a fish out of water, <laughs> rehearsing all these new pieces. But mm -hmm. then when we played those two, I was also a fish out of water because nobody right. else knew them. <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. Yeah. But it was oh fun. My goodness. It was, and and uh, it was so crazy. I got to play that season. They they uh, somebody retired at the last minute, and and I got to play first horn for my first year. Wow. And um, and then later on, I was brought into the orchestra, which is another really crazy story. But yeah, can't wait to hear about that. Um, <laughs> what else did you do in your freelance career after? Well, college? I played with um, a group called the Berm Quintet. Okay. We, we commissioned a lot of pieces from really good composers, Charles Warren and Ben Weber. And uh, we did a lot of um, the, the standard stuff and, um, you know, got to other people to write new music. And that was my spiritual base, maybe you would say. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, when I, when I played Broadway, I thought, it, it never bothered me that I'm doing something like over and over and over again until it gets boring because mm -hmm. it supported my quintet habit. Yeah. My quintet used to say, if you have to ask what a gig pays, you can't afford to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. And I always played in a quintet for a long, 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 long time. Uh -huh. so, and also a New York chamber soloist, festival wins, um, I, a little bit with Orpheus. I mean, a lot of other, as much chamber music as I could manage wow um that was really the direction i wanted to go in until the until the, the, met. Thing, <laughs> the yeah met. that really changed my life i see you know? so your favorite gig over all of these different ways was probably chamber music right with your quintet mm -hmm. still is i mean when i had a chance to play a schubert octet or something like that um i've, I've been a member of saint luke's now mm -hmm. you know 36 years of the met eh. I've been with wow. St. Luke's for 46 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and uh, we just did a, a video of a beautiful piece by an English composer, which used to make in English, uh, Eleanor Alberga. Uh, we just did this for our education program. It's Horn and String Quartet, Western Hemisphere premiere or something like that. Wow. But it was really fun to do. It was really fun to Are do. Are you still playing with St. Luke's? Yeah, well, that this was just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it was okay. maybe the same week that you played at the Mena. We did this thing. You know, I, I thought that you, you did a session at the, that's, that's our home, Oh, yeah, yeah, know. yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that was just last week, or, yeah. right? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know exactly, but it was, it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so, I can't um, tell if today is Sunday or Monday or Friday anymore. Yeah, like, uh, it doesn't even matter. What's yeah, right? Weekend? <laughs> and then we just had Labor Day, actually, and I was like, oh, well, happy Labor Day, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But, 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 yeah. yeah, that's so, really awesome. Every day is a holiday. <laughs> exactly. But oh, I actually well. did work for a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the ironic so part. It was really great to get back together with my friends, but it was very mm -hmm. hard because I hadn't played with other people, really, and, you know, so... Yeah. I know you just have to get back into it and it takes a little time to yeah know. so you loved doing all this freelance work and you were super oh, yeah. yeah super busy doing it and so how did you transition into becoming a full-time orchestra member 
and one at the Met where we have, you know, the busiest of all orchestra jobs. Well, I hate to tell you this, but when I was freelancing, my schedule was nuts. <laughs> yeah. And when I got to the Met, everybody's saying, oh, oh, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and, and it's it is. true, but for me, it was almost like a vacation. It was like, wow, it's so bad. Oh my God. What do I have nine services a week or, you know, even if they're long. Yeah. I mean, I, my first opera was Eugene on Yegan and it's what well, it was like three hours and 40 minutes. And mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it when we hit the three and a half hour mark. I just <laughs> thought I was going to die, but it, it was just brain fatigue, you know, and you get yeah. used to it. You get used to, you know, it didn't take very long. Okay. But, you know, there's, there's an adaptation. Uh, but the overall schedule, it was easier than what I'd been. Uh-huh. Wow. That's not something I've heard before. I mean, it's definitely a different kind of grind, right? So yeah. when you get there... It is relentless. Yeah, it is. It's more of a mental fatigue kind of thing, because you have to sit there for so long. Unless and we you're do... playing the ring. <laughs> oh my god. I had That's to... physical too. Yeah, I was actually subbing for that last year during that season. Mm -hmm. I sat in front of you. I remember that. I said, <laughs> you that was remember your stand partner. Because yeah. uh, I thought, well, oh, you're that guy? Oh, well, I <laughs> was back there. <laughs> no, of course I knew who you were. <laughs> I was just afraid to say hi, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like for you to join the Met and actually the story of how you got in? and how you auditioned? Well, first of all, I never sent in an application letter because I didn't think I had time to prepare a recording for them. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a little extra stage band kind of things for a couple of years before that. And the guys knew me and I played actually played some freelance things with them too. And they're telling me that I was crazy not to take the audition, but I really didn't think I could present them with something on tape that would be worthwhile. So I didn't really do anything. And then I got a letter saying I was passed out of the tape round. Wow. Can you imagine if you hadn't sent me. that in? <laughs> but I just, like, I couldn't believe that. Wow. And um, Dan, I don't know how much longer it was after that, but then this other gentleman decided to retire. Mm -hmm. And they had a first horn opening and they needed to fill it uh, they needed to fill in somebody for the year so they could schedule the audition so i was actually playing the job or i took the audition yeah <laughs> you know so in, wow. sometime in october we had uh the auditions and i was invited to the i guess the semi-finals because okay. i was already playing in the orchestra and i remember the day of the audition which i was that was a runner-up. Um, the day of the audition, I had to come back and play Eugene Onegin. <laughs> wow, oh my gosh. Oh, I was brain dead, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, trying to do... That's sort of like me. I was doing... I took the audition last year, around May, mm -hmm. and that's literally when we were playing the ring cycle. We were in the middle oh. of it. <laughs> so that... <laughs> I can relate in that way. For yeah, sure. no kidding. Wow. It was hard. I mean, it was just a lot of stamina that you have to build up, you know? Yeah, sure. That starts to get to be really physical. Yeah. And I know for you guys playing like Figaro, like that can be also if you have to play it. It's really taxing for your... That plus some other 
big opera the same day. And, you know, I think the hardest thing about the job is actually being prepared to play four or five different operas all in the same week. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very different from a symphonic job in that sense. Right. And uh, one of the best things is that the casts are always changing. The people you're sitting around are always changing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always different. It's never routine. Right. I think that is one of the great side effects of the way it has to be organized you know yeah the personnel is always changing around you Mm -hmm. you don't know who you're playing with that specific day and it might always be changing and just at the last minute too in case someone gets sick but it does keep you on your toes and keeps things really exciting in that regard Um, and sometimes you don't see some of your colleagues for like three weeks at a time (laughs) that's true it's a little where are you you know yeah you think they're on vacation but they're just actually playing the other shows the alternate ones uh not the first time i played Rheingold, but uh the first broadcast i did of Rheingold, the second horn player had broken his arm and i was playing like assistant i was just i I wasn't uh i played like when when they first brought me in the orchestra i called myself last horn Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. He broke his arm, and my first time uh, stepping in to play Rheingold, which has so many second horn solos, <laughs> was the broadcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of times like that where, you know, crazy things happened. Yeah. But uh, it made it fun. And can you elaborate a little bit about? Um, what the different roles are between maybe principal horn and because you you had this unique situation where you got to sit in different so right, different chairs. Well, yeah. as a freelancer, I did that all the time. Uh-huh. And I like playing second. I like being in a supporting role. I mean, I yeah. like the uh, and and when you play second, you're playing more in the lower register and. I, I like doing that some of the time. Mm-hmm. I played second just for one one season at the Met. Okay. But I ended up, because of this guy injuring himself, I ended up playing um, all the second horn on the uh, the first ring recordings, the videos. The videos. Wow. And um, it just worked out that way. And then, uh, the, then the third horn player retired, and they asked me if I wanted to play third. And that was really great. And just I, like I, you're playing musical chairs in the Met, yeah. <laughs> in the <laughs> horn section. I've always enjoyed the variety. I've always yeah. played chamber music, to play with St. Luke's Orchestra, to do, you know, chamber orchestra, things like that. So that to me was a great situation. Yeah. So I've been told if I'm looking for the greatest stories at the Met, you're the person to go to. So... <laughs> Can you share maybe three to five or, you know, however many favorite no, stories? I, I can tell you some good stories. Yeah. I mean, all right. Let's 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 start from my first season. One of the first things I did, uh, not playing first, but when I became a regular member of the orchestra, mm-hmm. uh, Falstaff. I don't know if you played Falstaff yet. I have not. The final scene starts with an offstage horn solo alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not particularly difficult, but it's it's alone, you know, and it sets the atmosphere. When I played that, they would call me to the stage like, I don't know, sometime before the end of the previous scene. 
So I had to be there for the scene change. And they had these panels that were uh, 30 feet high or something. It did just, you know, and I had to be on the stage because the mm -hmm. stage managers would go crazy if I wasn't there. And I had to be there in the middle of all this. And there are little kids running around. <laughs> There's livestock. There were dogs and, oh my God. and that. And there was a changing booth of the soprano. And, and then finally, things settled down and we were getting ready to play. And the guy who was the chorus director. He was great, but he was kind of a nerve ending. Mm -hmm. he, would, he would be looking at the monitor and... Oh, my God. And it's got to be a very calm... You're setting the atmosphere for this forest scene. Right. They're in Windsor Forest. And uh, if you just have to tune everything, everything out. Oh, it's God. crazy to play on the stage, you know, and just a short solo like that. But that was really. Wow. <laughs> it was an education in itself. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, the conductor really does set the tone for a lot of these things. Well, um, that we have to the way, do, so. when we play something like that on the stage, we have somebody who's watching the monitor, the, yeah. the real conductor. So <laughs> right. uh, it's his responsibility to follow, mm -hmm. but we have to take the cues from him. Right. Now, there was one time when we uh, we did a version of Carmen that Domingo conducted. He had some score. Uh, after the, there's a prelude in the third act for the flute solo. Beautiful piece. The next thing that happens is the horns play an octave. Bang. Mm -hmm. and then there's a timpani roll, and then uh, <laughs> like and a far away version. The Domingo score said the far away one should be played from the stage. Uh oh. So two of us had to show up to play one note. <laughs> that was our job. And there was one time that the, the guy who was supposed to be helping us, one night he said, Play, that's you. <laughs> he didn't even really give us a cue. Oh, and we no. just stumbled in. And then the next time I said, look, we really need to just take a breath. <laughs> and he said, all right, all right. And he brought us in a bar early and people oh, no. laughing. Always a nightmare playing on the stage. Yeah. And then there's, well, I don't know whether you've heard about the dogs and Rose and Cavalier. I, yeah, I saw them. <laughs> Actually, I got to play it this year. So I'm really okay, happy. Okay. Well, the, you know, the old production, um, uh, when I first saw it at the Met, before I was in the orchestra, Carl mm -hmm. Broom was conducting. And uh, I forget exactly what the line is, but this guy comes on and he's showing the marshal and he has these animals with him and uh, little dogs, so little, mm -hmm. already housebroken. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, um, there was one night, you probably have to edit this out, but there's <laughs> one night that Carl Broom was conducting mm -hmm. and he started laughing. And he turned to the conductor, I mean, to the concertmaster. And the guy didn't know what he was laughing about. And he's pointing at the stage because there were two dogs up there. He said, Sam fucking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. After that, there was only one dog. <laughs> oh, my God. What did they do with those dogs? Just like oh, well, brought them. We also, I think you've heard already about the, the sheep that got fired. <laughs> No, I didn't. Can you tell? Oh, and, and that was in, maybe it was a rehearsal of Falstaff. Mm -hmm. But they had, like I say, they, they, in the old production, they had all these livestock in the last scene. And there was one year they had, it was sheep or goats. And they started in the middle of rehearsal. Going, <laughs> <laughs> and they got fired. 
Yeah, so animals can get fired too, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Very easily. That's funny. That was quite an event. Wow. And then there, you've heard about the June bugs in, in Staten Island. Yes. Yeah. Nancy yeah, told us well, in the other episode. I was sitting right in front of the chorus, up mm -hmm. right the back row, when one of them flew into somebody's cleavage. <laughs> and it was quite an event. But, you know, we were doing. We were doing Lucia de Lammermoor. The poor woman is singing Lucia. You can't do that without having your mouth wide open most of the time. Right. And these bugs were dive bombing the stage. <gasps> so they had oh. to call an early intermission, turn all the lights off, you know. Anyway, that was quite an event. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen, you know. Well, you know, the following October, mm -hmm. I have these, um, they're little bits of foam that I put through my horn because it helps to get the condensation out of it or, you know, to mm -hmm. clean out the tubes. And I put one of these things through my horn. It's funny, you know, you put it in the one end and just blow hard and it it just whips through the horn. Okay. It comes out in your hand in the bell. That's like, awesome. There, you know. What a nice way to clean the horn. Yeah, well... Uh-oh. <laughs> black thing came out. And it was a June bug from three months earlier. Oh, that's nasty. It was, it was the most disgusting thing. I oh, my God. It my was life. still, you know, a solid thing in there? It, yes. Wow. I mean, I knew what it was. It was just this black, greasy thing. Uh -huh. But I knew what it was because it couldn't have been anything else. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How did it fit through the mouthpiece? I guess it went through the bell. It, it went right? into the bell. Yeah, and it, it just flew in there or something. And you know, it just was And it's of, just and been it went its way into the tubing. Yeah. And I would put it in the case or whatever, it would get turned around and it was stuck in my horn for 3 for months. Like three months. <laughs> it was just hanging out in there, you know. Oh, maybe fine. it just recently past <laughs> i'm so glad you got it out <laughs> yeah i almost uh, lost it though <laughs> does it sound better does your horn sound well better? you know it was it wasn't you can have a lot of junk in your horn and it uh -huh. doesn't matter that much i mean i have seen people spit things out of their horn actually onto my clothing sometimes wow and, and it doesn't seem to the vibration goes through i see anyway but uh, I've had two very famous players just take the horn and go, and yeah. this thing came out and landed on my arm. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, I don't. Uh. No, this is actually really fascinating for me because I don't know any of this stuff. You know, uh, as a violinist. violinist would never have this problem. Yeah, I mean, there are things that go through our the holes on the you know in the front of the violin um but Good that's problem. usually just like hair and dust balls that kind of stuff so we don't have anything as remotely interesting as yours <laughs> just because you know it's a smaller opening so june sure. bugs wouldn't fit in there <laughs> Good but yeah right <laughs> um what was your op favorite opera to play and what's your favorite opera in general and do you have a most memorable one you know if you're sitting out there in the audience listening my favorite opera was probably the same as almost everybody it was rosen cavalier mm -hmm. <laughs> never got over it you know i just always have loved that opera and it's a lot of fun to play 
Yes. Um, you know, but um, I have a kind of a weird thing about Lulu. I just always uh -huh. and I played it, you know, in 1974 in Spoleto. Wow. The production that was directed by Roman Polanski. Is this the Spoleto in Charleston? No, this was or in the Italy. Real Spoleto. The real one. <laughs> yeah. This is I've only been to the fake one. <laughs> long before long before Charleston. Mm -hmm. The original festival was in, in Umbria, in, in Italy, and yeah. I played like three summers there. Oh, that's and, awesome. And uh, I was already freelancing. I was pretty busy. Uh, it was my first year that I toured with the Philharmonic, but I I really wanted to play Lulu, so I thought, mm -hmm. well, if I win this audition, and it's about the only audition I ever won, actually. Wow. <laughs> Runner up a lot of time. But I, I, I really wanted to play Lulu, and so I, I went that year, and it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure the production was really great, too, every time it. was seen it. where we sat in the pit. I couldn't see much. Right. But I know that it was very bloody. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's one character who kills himself off stage, but in this production, he goes up st upstairs, looks in a mirror, right? Yeah. He goes... <laughs> oh did you see that from the pit I, I i did see that at some point and oh also God. when when lulu shoots dr shern mm -hmm. it was staged though that shern had his back to the audience so she is aiming out to the audience <laughs> and they had they had a problem with the chicken blood spraying on the string and they, oh and my God. Yeah. So they had to really tone that down. This was they really, actually used real chicken blood. I get, yeah, it was yeah. As far as I know, it wasn't human. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least that. But, oh my goodness. Back well, uh, at so. that time, I mean, some of Polanski's films are pretty bloody too. So, and it was right around the time when Chinatown came out, and that's where somebody slices Jack Nicholson's nose open mm -hmm. on camera. I mean. It was, uh, but it was, it was fun. And um, uh, he was walking down the street one day, Polanski, mm -hmm. in Spoleto, and he saw this guy. Now we were doing a two-act version where she ends up getting killed by Jack the Ripper. And it's a mime role. There's mm -hmm. no singing involved. In the third, in the three-act version, some of the characters from the first couple of acts come back as different people. Mm -hmm. But in this version, Jack the Ripper is a mime role. And he sees this guy and he says, come here. And just some guy on the street, he hired him to play Jack the Ripper. <laughs> the <laughs> oh guy did God. it. Well, but it was an easy gig. All he had to do was stab Lulu to death. That's true. Wow. <laughs> it was yeah. a, an interesting summer. You've got the best stories. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I guess that was your most memorable opera too, right? Well, yeah, I've always had a soft spot for that opera. But uh, if you ask what from the audience if i have one there was a night not so long ago that they did a run of meister singer okay and the the night we went i think it had been um i can't think of his name but he's he's the guy who did flying dutchman with us he's he's great at mm -hmm. bass but he was not there and jimmy morris who has been i mean i remember him from before i started at the mat thinking oh i love this guy's voice Wow. He's been around for, I don't know, at least 40 years mm -hmm. or more as a really major singer. And um, he came in and sang Hans Sachs, which is a really huge role. 
and it was really beautiful and <sighs> I'll never forget it. that was an amazing night I mean it was a really good performance overall and I loved that production it was a, an auto shape production but uh, that was really yeah it's vivid in your memory we have so many performances you know a season over 200 a year and you know to think that you did this for 36 years <laughs> let's do the math yeah. that's like roughly 7,000 you know 7,200 opera shows I mean granted you haven't you didn't play all of them but you know around there right but the really hard weeks was when I was trying to do a concert at Carnegie Hall with the St. Luke's Orchestra at the same time. Oh my God. And, you know, things like that. Or if there was somebody doing a, a film score or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the hours could get really long when you start right. getting all that in. Wow. But, um, but, you know, I told you before, freelance was worse. Right. This, this wasn't so bad. So that's, that's another take on it. it. I'm done with all that. That's know? awesome. I don't have to do that anymore <laughs> right and you can just you relax now um but how did you balance your work and your life outside of work when you were doing this well you do have to give it a lot of thought and um one of the great things is that we had a lot of time during the summer mm -hmm. and we did a lot of great traveling we did so much hiking in switzerland oh that's so nice and um when my wife and i first got together uh we decided to go to italy because we mm -hmm. Italy and I said oh do you mind if we spend a few days in Switzerland she said oh, I don't know okay and uh -huh. um, we got hooked really fast <laughs> it's so beautiful and there both countries you know and uh, yeah we've done oh we've done hiking all over different parts of Switzerland wow so being able to do that in the summer it really yeah. recharges your batteries for sure yeah gives you a chance to relax and you know mm -hmm. get ready for the next season really yeah, so. and uh, just to find, you know, you I always have to make an effort to find the time when I don't have to work to that we can do something. We go to the theater a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, we wow. did. Which is your favorite theater to go to? Oh, well, uh, you know, uh, we're not particularly into musicals, although uh, we did actually, we both done Stephen Sondheim musical oh. in uh, the old days. In fact, uh, Virginia and I, we don't know when we met. <laughs> but we, we were both part of the orchestra for a little night music in 1973. It was my first job out of school. Wow. Um, uh, on Broadway. And um, we got to know each other then. Okay. But so you met freelancing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We met freelancing and we knew each other for a gazillion years. And wow. we played at American Ballet Theater for a few years. And we finally got it together to get together <laughs> in 1990 we got married wow. in 98 you know that's awesome yeah but it took us a long time to get there <laughs> she's a horn player right yes yeah well she's not hardly playing at all anymore uh she's okay. even playing less than i am right now uh-huh i see <laughs> but yes but we and we had play alphorns together sometimes oh that's so nice <laughs> and it's so nice to you know just have someone in your home to play with you know, chamber mm -hmm. music when you want to. Just we actually have done, we're, we're, we'll, maybe we'll be able to put it out one of these days, but we've been working on a piece, uh, an arrangement of a beautiful Tchaikovsky piece with, for horn and piano, because Virginia's, she was a very good pianist at one time. Wow. So, so she's been practicing a little bit 
Oh, that's and awesome. Maybe we'll I can't wait to see put it, it online one of these days. Please, yeah. Page. I would love to see it on Facebook or whatever, on it's YouTube. been one of our little projects. Yeah. And, you know, this is a perfect segue. What do you plan to do in retirement? Well, the two things that I thought I'd like to do, uh, one I sort of planned, and the other I, di I didn't really see coming. Uh, I wanted to learn more about cooking, some of the classic Roman dishes. Wow. My cousin had a Roman trattoria. He makes uh, cacio e pepe, you wouldn't believe. And it's a very simple dish, but it's not so easy to do. Right now, he, he has a restaurant called Anton's. We wow. just went there last week, down on Hudson Street. Uh -huh. It's fabulous, and we, you know, we sat outside, but um, they had a very good crowd, and we, uh, it was really nice. Wow! But he was like a Roman chef for years. He had two two restaurants where he did that sort of Italian thing, even though he's half Japanese. <laughs> wow! <laughs> he he studied so cool. in Rome. Yeah. He studied uh, uh, art history in Rome. Came back and he started cooking around, and he ended up. Uh, Kind of creating Maialino and Marta, mm -hmm. and now he's now he's gone off on his own. And they have this place, Anton's, which is named after Anton Andrew. <laughs> first, wow! First one to come here from Germany. It was it's his great great grandfather. I started off doing more Italian stuff, but it, that's been really fun. And then I just started writing little pieces on Facebook. Yeah, I've seen and them. A lot of people seem to really appreciate them. The reason I do them is because. It's such a hard time, and I don't really want to get into all this political stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's a way for people to get a little something. Yeah, for sure. To chew on. No, it's great that you're doing all that because. I, it, and I'm really enjoying writing, and people are yes. encouraging me to do more of it. So I probably it's will. great. I love hearing. You know, I love reading your stories for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't my plan, but I just thought I started finding myself doing it. I would come down and I'd start writing something and it just happened. I didn't wow. really plan it. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, maybe you can write an autobiography or a memoir. Well, I, I don't know. People are saying I should do that. I don't think totally. I, would, I don't think I'd be able to really write a sort of a narrative book, but a lot of stories and a lot of people that my friends are, would be interested in if they knew more about them. And that's sort of right. Thing. The, these little vignettes that I've been writing about different people and situations and, you know, uh, yeah. that is, I enjoy doing that. I really write for myself, but it seems that people appreciate it. So for I'm sure. Doing it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for, you know, our, for the musicians and for the people out there, you know, listening in the audience to feel more connected to us as people as, and as musicians, you know, and that they'll feel more connected to us and see the orchestra as more of a personalized entity when we return to the stage. And so I think what you're doing is really great. Maybe I felt like I needed an audience because I didn't have one. Anymore. I don't know. <laughs> no. That's quite possible. I mean, yeah. I haven't analyzed it. I just started doing it. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's great. So please keep doing whatever you're doing. Um, and are you teaching right now as well? I uh, I really don't. I used to teach at a couple of universities, but I haven't done that for a few years. Uh, the way I describe it is I didn't want to be institutionalized. Yeah. <laughs> I do love working at Verbier. That okay. Is, that is something that 
you know, is is really a highlight of my year. And people that I know from there, they're fabulous players. They're mm-hmm. great people. And I mean, it's it's just it's always an experience that it's not just two weeks a year. You know, right? It, it goes on and on and on. So that I just I really love. And, yeah, Verbia uh, is really yeah. great. Just yeah. holistic. So for me, that's. That's more or less the teaching. I have also worked with amateur chamber music players for many years. Okay. Um, but uh, that also, of course, had to fall by the wayside this year. So mm-hmm. see what happens. Yeah, and everything's being digitalized now. So yeah, maybe that I don't know how you can do a you know a coaching session on a septet. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Do, you know. Yeah, so, that's I don't know. I mean, I think we'll we'll find our way out of this, and maybe next summer. For sure. To do something like that. Um, <laughs> well, what will you miss most about playing at the Met? Oh, my colleagues playing music yeah. with them, hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And and all right, I'll be honest. There was there was one time last two year before last. I realized you know, I used to uh, sometimes I would play Act One and Act Three of Siegfried and then play up on the stage. Uh, this time we did it the other way around. So I played in the pit mm-hmm. for act two. So that's really all I played. But this one night, I realized it's the last time I'm ever going to play this music. Mm-hmm. I got kind of teary. Yeah. It really got to me. So that sort of thing. There's a lot of operas that I didn't cry about, you know, right. my last. But no, it it, I really enjoyed playing the operas, mm-hmm. but especially something like that Siegfried. It really, it really right. got because I played so many ring cycles. Mm-hmm. I realized this is my last one, Ugh. and it's just it's hard killed. to let go. Yeah, but maybe you'll be back and playing. You know. <laughs> oh well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so much fun. I mean, people do that. Like, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you, you can do a few performances here and there. Like Michelle Baker's been back for a few things. Yeah, that would be really so fun. It's great for her to be there. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's so happy that she's there. Yeah. But I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll miss you too. Um, what? And last question: What advice would you have for young people who are just starting a career in music or? in the process of applying to music schools or just on the audition circuit? Well, I think, I believe in people really not just learning a list of excerpts, but learning the music. Mm -hmm. And when I was in high school, I used to walk down from, my school was at 12th and Girard, and it was about a mile and a half or so down to the free library. Mm -hmm. But I went down there all the time borrowed music and copied it out by hand. Wow. I had no money, you know, I could afford to make Oh my goodness. Uh, but to learn, to really learn the repertoire, uh, I used to buy scores. I have a huge collection of scores, not just operas, everything. Um, and, and to really learn these pieces. Now, you don't have to go out and buy the scores anymore. Mm-hmm. There's M slip. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you can listen to almost anything on YouTube now. So mm-hmm. don't just practice. Don't just wear yourself out practicing, but break it up with some serious learning of the repertoire, the, you know, the, the whole piece. Right, right. Not just the famous solos. It really is so much easier now. 
and then to play for as many people as you can play for mm-hmm. if you have an audition or a performance coming up run that stuff by all your friends contact a couple teachers that's the best i think the best thing uh a couple of summers ago one of the people from verbier she was in the new york area after mm-hmm. the festival she had a new job playing first horn at an opera house and one of the things she was most worried about was playing billy bud and she came by and we started working on this it's about a two and a half page excerpt that's really tough and we, you know we just worked it over and worked it over and um and she got it but it was really good anyway one of the what my favorite moments from that year was about I don't know, six months later i saw she posted something on facebook billy bud I have kicked your butt. <laughs> so I knew, I knew it went well. I yeah. was so happy for her. That's awesome. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is all really such great advice. And I think it's well, really important. I think important, it was good everything. that she, she was able to play it for me. And yeah. I was very happy to work it over with her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's best to get, you know, as many opinions as you can and mm-hmm. use all of that, you know, use that and make your own thing out of it. I think it's... And as you and everybody in the orchestra knows, we have to work our butts off. Yeah. <laughs> the preparation. I mean, the preparation is the thing that cuts your nerves too. Mm-hmm. You really know your business. You're just going to go in and say, okay, everybody, this is what this is going to supposed to sound like. That's and true. just perform. An audition is a performance, it's not a test. If you think of it as a test, forget it. If you think of it as a performance, that's, that's the route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very wise words <laughs> from Joe. Um, this was awesome, Joe. Um, okay, so now we have the fun part where I just ask you a couple of questions and you just say this or that. Rapid fire the Lightning question. round. Yeah, the lightning <laughs> round. Okay, so dogs right. or cats? Oh, I love dogs. Me but, too. But Do you have any? We haven't been able to have a dog. We have had a lot of great cats. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. They all died. Mm -hmm. But uh, we miss all of them, um, or most of them, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Most of them. No, I I love both. Wine or cocktails or beer? Oh, I'm a wine drinker. Okay. Except um, I like a martini Mm -hmm. once in a while. And let me tell you, the martini that Natalie makes at Anton's is the best one I ever had. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to check like a martini. Wow. That's the place to go. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to check that out. Either white wine or Pinot Noir particularly, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Um, City or suburbs? I'm a city person. Me too. We live in the suburbs, quote unquote, but we're almost in the city. And that's what I love about where we live. Right. You got the best of both worlds, so that's awesome. Um, mountains or ocean? I never could stand the beach when I was a kid. I lo- always loved the mountains. Okay. And now, of course, we get to go to Switzerland, so. Yeah, the best mountains. How much better could that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's pretty great. Ramen or udon? Well, I don't really know that much of udon dishes but i love a bowl of ramen okay (laughs) uh jazz or pop jazz coffee or green tea coffee 
Yeah. Oh, we have to talk about your coffee. What's your method of brewing coffee? Well, the first thing I do is I roast it. Uh huh. I get it in green beans, and um, so I always have about half dozen different coffees around from all yeah. over the place. Oh my A lot God. of great stuff from Central America. Uh -huh. um, as you may know, as you may know, Costa Rica has a lot of great coffee. <laughs> I always have one or two Costa Rican coffees around, mm -hmm. and um, and I do a pour over drip. I like uh, press pot, but my wife prefers pour the, over. The pour over, so that's that's what we do. Generally. Okay, wow, you're really serious about your coffee. Yeah, we only drink it in the morning, really, but um, but we always have a couple of cups different yeah. i always make two different coffees in the morning wow you're one of my things <laughs> <laughs> books or netflix both but i'm a very slow reader and we've been watching a lot of netflix. a lot of netflix what's your favorite show i mean what are you watching right now oh we've been watching uh somebody feed phil oh i love that we, we just finished it. that too yeah we just finished it so oh my god you know, I but, mean, you can uh, watch it over and over again, I guess. But it's very um, uplifting. And I love yeah. Phil. He's so great. Yeah, so. He's, he's amazing. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. and um, we watched just finished watching um, Samin Nosrat's thing, um, Salt, Acid. I haven't seen that fat. one. but That's also, it's the book is really more, more about cooking. But this is, it's about cooking, but it's like a travel show, too. Okay. So similar to Phil, but with more of the cooking side of it i see i see okay but so he's just eating, eating. <laughs> he's touring around eating you know who wouldn't want that job that's like my dream job the we next also watched, we also watched a really interesting one and we made, made it through the whole series babylon berlin okay i've it's heard series. Really good. It's, it's all it's it's all with subtitles but that's a that's also a fun series i mean okay it's about right around the time when the Nazis were coming in so it's it's harsh but yeah it's a dark very one good series. yeah okay I'm gonna have to check that out mm -hmm. um, <laughs> summer or winter summer okay especially when we're in Switzerland or that's you know, true in England or something you know some because mm -hmm. yeah. that's when we've always had time to do something also that's true um, sweet or salty Oh, I'm not a sweet person particularly. Uh, well, anybody can tell you that. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I, I would say um, I go more in the direction of salt here. So. Got it. Um, breakfast or dinner? I, I rarely eat breakfast. Oh, okay. I, I just have coffee. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. My wife makes me eat breakfast sometimes. She'll make an egg. But what if you have to go to rehearsal? Do you get hungry? No, then? I never got hungry until the break. Wow. I, I mean, maybe it's why. just how you your body works, you know, yeah, yeah. around I, that schedule. I don't really understand it, but everybody will tell you that I'm wrong to do that. But I well, really that's never, great. I never was like, oh, I got to get out of here. <laughs> you eat. Yeah, that's great that it works for you, you know. Yeah. Keeps you on a <laughs> diet. <laughs> well, um, I probably could have gotten worse, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cooking or taking out? Well, I like cooking now. Okay. Um, but home... we don't particularly take out because in our area we can't really do that. But it's nice to go to a good restaurant once in I a see. while. They're only just starting to be available. That's true. In yeah. the last few weeks. 
Um, are you a homebody or outdoorsy? Homebody. Yeah. I feel like I can um, answer all these questions now that I know you. <laughs> but uh, introvert or extrovert? I'm very introverted. Okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? You know, I used to be, of course, when I played the opera, I kind of had to be a night owl because you get home after one of these things and you can't go to sleep right away. Yeah, because you're just thinking about but, the show. But these days, I, no, I start crashing sometime between 10 and 11. Me too. <laughs> then I wake up very early and uh, okay, and I can take a nap if I need to. But so I've really, it's really changed. It's really changed a lot. Yeah, it changes depending on what you have to do, I guess, you know? So. Um, are you a text message or a call person? I'm more of a call person. <laughs> but you know, uh, it's so funny. And no matter how I would communicate with my students when I had a bunch of them, whether it was phone or or emails, mm -hmm. that it was always text. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems like everybody in your generation is a text person that's true yeah just like this so morning I, so i've done more of that too okay yeah well that's good <laughs> favorite restaurant in new york city that be anton's <laughs> oh don't be silly it's anton's yeah <laughs> um favorite coffee shop you know when i taught at nyu one afternoon it felt like an espresso and there's one just off sixth avenue i don't remember the exact street but it's called joe mm -hmm. and i know that uh there's one near Lincoln Center, and Ugo recommended it too. Oh, Joe's but Coffee. I had the best espresso that I've ever had on this side of the Atlantic. Whoa! One day at Joe. So I would okay. highly recommend that place. Everyone's <laughs> recommending that place. And I've been there and I love it. So mm -hmm. seems like the, you know, people who love coffee go I there. Haven't, I haven't really explored, but I mean, I've had a lot of good coffee in Italy but mm -hmm. I never had an espresso this this good perfect and it's so convenient yeah so convenient because it's right there next mm -hmm. to the Met so I'm gonna go every day <laughs> um favorite site for tourists to visit in New York City you know what's really great walk across the Brooklyn Bridge I've done uh, it have you done it it's, yes it's great I, I just watched a video of Elliot Carter doing that what when he, when he is it on in, youtube in 80s i don't know uh i have it on a dvd but but it's a great walk on a good day and yeah. then when you get across you can go to the there's that grimaldi's pizza place mm -hmm. or there's a restaurant called henry's end which is a, an old favorite of ours yeah that's on henry street and it's very very close but yeah that, that's a great walk yeah it totally really is fun. yeah it's a tradition to walk across the bridge and have Grimaldi's pizza, get yeah. the ice cream, right? Have you had the ice cream? I forgot. I, no, what. I haven't had their ice cream. I took okay. one of our Swiss friends. It's on the dock. I forgot what it's called, but I'll have to check oh, it out. Oh, it's neighboring. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so I took these Swiss girls down one time. <laughs> and we're waiting in line to get in on Sunday afternoon. And they're from a small town and this huge fire truck pulls up and they're like oh no is there a fire <laughs> and um they never saw a fire truck like that because they have volunteer fire departments uh-huh so they were like taken aback by the size of the thing and <laughs> i said i think i know what's going on 
And a couple of these guys went in and like 20 minutes later, they came out with stacks of pizza. Like, oh you know, they were like 12 pizzas. And then yeah. they all went back to the firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they just wanted some pizza. They That's just hilarious. went there to get pizza. Well, it is such a good pizza place. So it is. everyone has to go. Um, and to Anton's too. Um, favorite cuisine? Well, of course, in my time in Spoleto and with my cousin being an Italian chef, I have to say Italian. Yeah, Italian is like really up there. And I want, to, I want to get more into real Chinese and Korean. It just isn't... It hasn't been the right time. Yeah, at least for Korean food. I've been putting up some of my mom's um, cooking recipes, kind of. I've seen a couple, yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time, I have to say, to make Korean dishes. But once you do make it, it's really satisfying, and it's healthy for you. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm totally check it out. It's it's a little annoying to get the ingredients, you know, because you have to go. Oh, I have my I have a, an appointment with my repairman this afternoon, mm-hmm. and I found out he he just moved recently. He's on Thirty Second Street in the same building as um, H Mart. Well, <laughs> so he can bring you some groceries. Oh, I am going to make a stop <laughs> this afternoon. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But he's right in the same building. Well, that's perfect. That works out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Facebook. Facebook. Theoretically, I'm on Instagram, but I don't even know how it works. (laughs) Okay. Photos up, and then I I didn't. I have no idea what I'm doing with that. But Facebook, I'm very active on Facebook. Great. Well, Joe, I think this is a great way to wrap it up. And so I just want (laughs) to thank you again so much for your time and for sharing all you did with us and a huge congratulations to you on your illustrious career and you know on your retirement and though i wish we got to speak sooner in person this was just really an honor to get this time to chat with you today i'll lean over the pit wall when the time comes yeah i can't wait um and so i just had a great time learning about you and you know your life story your amazing life story and it really makes me excited for my future at the met and in the big apple and it's a very very uh, the most amazing group of people to work with yeah yeah really really couldn't it doesn't get better than that seriously the always best it always was that way such a supportive group yeah From my day one i hit the jackpot i always appreciated <laughs> yeah in terms of people and colleagues you know i just really won the lottery so yeah Yeah, I hope the audience will see that too through these shows and through the podcast and um, how amazing the individuals are who make up our orchestra as people and as musicians. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all your experiences with us and especially for all your advice. (laughs) Well, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care. Okay. See you around. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the fifth episode of On Tracked with Julia. I'm Julia Choi, and my guest today was Joseph Anderer, who was the principal horn of the Met Orchestra for the past 36 seasons. That's it for today's episode, folks. I hope you had a great time learning about Joe. If you want to learn a little more about Joe, you can connect with him on Facebook at facebook.com slash joseph.anderer.5. If you have a chance, please rate and review 
Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thank you so much again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. In the meantime, you can check out juliachoyviolinist.com slash podcast. See you next week.